Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. When I was a kid, I can remember hot summer days playing wiffle ball in the backyard. Anybody else play wiffle ball growing up? was a pretty remarkable experience. Usually it was just me and my brother. I have one brother, one sister. It's just me and my older brother, Joe. Hours and hours we would play. The season would begin with a draft of players, and then we would outline the season schedule, and we kept meticulous stats for every player and every at-bat. I still have those stats if you would like to see them. In preparation for the season each year, we would create our field, which included mowing part of an empty lot behind our house to create our sand lot. We nicknamed it Ellis Memorial Stadium. I'm not sure who died to get that name, but Ellis Memorial Stadium is what we always referred to the stadium as. And right next to our field of dreams, there was a large area of high weeds that included thorns. I'm not sure when we noticed, but one year we realized something in the middle of the summer while we were playing. It was probably happened when we went to retrieve a ball that we had hit into those weeds that somehow had errantly flown into the bushes. But we realized that those weeds were actually producing something pretty incredible. Just beyond our field, what we thought were weeds, bushes, and thorns were actually blackberries. So after that, each year, we looked forward to those days in the summer when those blackberries would show up. Took a little effort, but we would go and we would pick them. The thorns hurt a little bit, but man... It was worth it to have my mom make some blackberry pie from those blackberries. Those blackberries grew off the beaten path, but oh, did they bless us. This morning, I would like to speak on the subject, blessed for beyond, blessed for Beyond. Today, I would like to consider the story of Joseph. We are introduced to Joseph in Genesis chapter 30. He's the 11th son of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Joseph is probably my favorite character in the Old Testament, probably because he was the baby of the family and the favored one. Kristen, your thoughts. 
just, he's just a great character. Anybody who has that on their resume is just destined for greatness. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph takes center stage on the pages of Scripture. Genesis tells us in 37 verse 1 that Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Beliah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. We are introduced to Joseph in a rather peculiar way. He takes front and center as a snitch. He is a 17-year-old punk, (laughs) immature, cocky, and arrogant. That's how we're introduced to him. And Joseph brought a bad report of them, his brothers, to their father. Now, some of you who have younger siblings, you have feelings about this. Genesis 37, verse 3, tells us, Now Israel, Jacob, his father, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Joseph was blessed. He was favored. Joseph was adored by his father. And it seems he was simply adored because he was the youngest born to Jacob when he was older in age. I enjoy letting each of my girls know that they're my favorite, especially in front of them. It's always well received when I turn to one of them at the dinner table and say, you know what, Audrey, you're my favorite. Some of you, all parents, have favorites for different reasons. Might not get the the blue ribbon as the ultimate favorite, but you have things that you like about different children. Joseph is not only a snitch and a punk. He's spoiled in front of all the other brothers. So it's no surprise at all that the next verse would read, But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. This is a a, a reality in anyone who has more than one child in the house. It sometimes seems impossible for them to speak peacefully to each other. We have a little belief in our home 
That it's only possible for two of the three to be happy at any one time. (laughs) So it's no surprise Joseph was hated. And I I, I think we could add here, you've got to beware of blessings in your life when you're favored. It's not always well received. Certainly we have experienced the envy of others when we have been blessed, or dare I say, we have envied someone else's blessing from time to time. Let me take you past just a mere human experience and let me add that the enemy of your soul doesn't like the fact that you are blessed. The enemy does not like the fact that you would be blessed. So we find Joseph, he's a snitch, he's spoiled. Not only is Joseph arrogant and blessed, Joseph is a dreamer. He's gifted. The scripture says Joseph, in verse 5, his brothers already hate him. I believe Joseph knew this. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, here's the dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Well played, Joseph. Can you imagine Joseph's Joseph's excitement? He wakes up from this dream. He's already favored and blessed by his father. And he has this gift and he just wants to share it with the world. And can you imagine the brother's excitement at receiving such wonderful news that they would somehow, someday bow down to their brother? And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? Are you kidding me? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. But Joseph has a dream, and dreams another dream, and told it to his brothers, and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Tony Hopkins, I think of that saying that you penned years ago. Joseph, what are you getting out of this? Why do you keep coming back to this idea that everyone's going to bow down to you? I I suppose you could say that his heart was right, his motives were pure. I'm I'm just not sure. There's just a tad bit of arrogance in maybe his statements. And I guess when you understand siblings, you understand that it seemed he just kept pressing the issue. So when he told his father and told his brothers, his his father who favored him and loved him, if 
Finally, said Joseph, it's enough, and rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. Joseph, in his immaturity, probably assumed he understood what the dream meant. It was clear and simple. He would rule over his brothers. And it probably, in his mind, thought, well, why not start now? I've got the robe. We can go ahead and get this party going. (laughs) Clearly, his brothers and father knew the implications of his dream. You are going to be blessed, is what you're saying, and you are going to be in charge. But we know the story, and if you're not familiar with the story, let me highlight a few things. Finally, the brothers had had enough. This is ridiculous. They hate Joseph. They are angered by their father's game of favorites. Something had to be done. Finally, they have the opportunity. Isaac, or Jacob, sends Joseph to check on his brothers in Shechem. And when Joseph gets to where he thinks they are, he can't find them. He arrives at the place his father said they would be, but they're nowhere to be found. And a man sees Joseph, and it seems that Joseph is lost. So the man asks Joseph what he was looking for, and Joseph replies that, I'm looking for my brothers. They were supposed to be out here. The man tells him, I heard them say that they were going to Dothan. They were going to this little place called Dothan. It means two wells. There they were going to find some water for the livestock. They wanted to water the sheep, and so Shechem wasn't the place, so they went to Dothan, and this man tells Joseph, hey, they're not here, but I think they're in Dothan. So Joseph heads there, and when his brothers see him coming, they saw his robe that stood out amongst everybody else. They would have known right away from a very far distant that this was their brother Joseph. And so they conspired to kill him. But at the intervention of Reuben, the oldest, they decide they're not going to physically kill him, but they are going to take his robe. And again, not to put words in the Bible, but I don't think they asked him for his coat. I don't think it was an exchange like, hey, sir, may I please have your robe? I, I, I imagine knowing my brother Joe and how he treated me on occasion. That this was a physical experience. So they took his robe and they threw him in one of the two wells and let whatever happened to him happen. Genesis 37 verse 24 says, they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Dothan was a place that was called two wells. 
I believe this was one of the wells, but it was empty. And so Joseph was thrown down into that empty well. For sake of time, let me quickly encapsulate 20 years of Joseph's life or so. He is taken as a caravan of Ishmaelites go by. His brothers say, well, we might as well get something for it. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites. He was then sold in Egypt. The Ishmaelites say, we don't really want him. We're going to sell him to the uh, guard for Pharaoh, to Potiphar. And so he's sold. It was at Potiphar's house that Joseph somehow in the midst of this finds success and he is put in charge of Pharaoh or Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, but Joseph remains righteous. While no one was watching, he honored God. When Potiphar's wife realizes that Joseph will not be seduced, she lies on him and accuses him of trying to force himself on her. This gets Joseph thrown into prison. In prison, though, Joseph finds, the Bible says, success. And the keeper of the prison puts Joseph in charge. And he interprets some dreams while he's there. One of a butler, one of a a cupbearer, and one of a baker. And that butler, that cupbearer, he got out of prison in three days and the king, the Pharaoh restored him, but the baker got out in three days and he was killed. And before that cupbearer got out, Joseph pleaded with him, hey, please don't forget me here in prison. But what happens? The armor bearer, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And for two years, Joseph just sits in a prison. But Pharaoh has a dream. That king has a dream. And all of a sudden, that cupbearer remembers Joseph and how he had interpreted his own dream. And so Pharaoh brings Joseph out and brings him to interpret the dream. And the dream essentially said that Egypt was going to have seven years of a prosperous season, followed by seven years of famine. And through, through this interpretation, Joseph then rises in the ranks and Pharaoh puts him in charge. He is second in command. He is so enamored by Joseph that he puts him in charge of the entire kingdom. And he's in, responsible for managing all the assets and all the things that deal with money. He collects 20% tax on all the grain and stores it for the seven years of famine to come. And sure enough, the famine hits. But not only does it affect Egypt and their needing grain, but it impacts, the Bible says, the whole earth. This includes Joseph's father and his brothers in the land of Canaan. So they come to Egypt, and they come to buy grain. These brothers, these ten brothers who had thrown him in a pit. And this then is where we find the heart of the story of Joseph. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but he doesn't immediately reveal himself to them. And it seems that he wrestles with what he should do. Should he make his brothers pay? What about his father? Is his father still alive? Does he have a younger brother? 
And through a heart-grabbing emotional process, Joseph can no longer hold back who he is. And he reveals himself to his brothers. Genesis 41 gives us this account and says Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Can you imagine that revelation to his brothers? They just thought they were trying to survive and get grain. They had long passed the moment with Joseph. They had kind of shoved it in the back of their mind. They had compartmentalized that moment. And all of a sudden, here he rises out of nowhere in a desperate situation and says, I am Joseph. His brothers, so stunned, could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They could not so much as utter a word or get a word out of their mouth because they were surprised and dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. What? A moment. Joseph essentially saying, remember me? Remember me, the one you hated? The one you were jealous of? The one you picked on? The one you ridiculed? The one who told you you would bow to him? The one you found in Dothan, the place of two wells? The one you stripped off the father's special coat and discarded it like it was trash. I'm Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, the one you threw into that empty well where there was no water, the one you sold to the Ishmaelites who sold me into Egypt. And while we might have used us personally might have used this type of reveal party as a way to create a sense of shame. If those were our brothers, we would have revealed ourselves. probably would have added a few things to it, but we realize that Joseph doesn't just say this to create shame and humiliation in their life, which I think is reasonable, he could have. But he wants them to understand something. He wants to help them understand why he is where he is. He wants them to know why he is blessed. And he says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
Joseph comes full circle to understand the real meaning of his blessed life. Joseph wasn't concerned, uh, concerned with his blessing because he wanted some position in Egypt now. Joseph was not considered blessed because of the incredible wealth that he had now at his disposal. Joseph was not considered blessed because of the great influence that he had on the earth. But let me tell you something today. Joseph was considered blessed because God had used his life to preserve their life. God had used his life to bring life. Joseph was blessed for beyond. He was blessed for something that was beyond him. He was given the favor of God for something that was beyond him. It wasn't so he could get revenge on his brothers. It wasn't so he could stand up and say he had a great position in the Egyptian government. No, it was because God realized I need somebody to be blessed for another blessing. I want to help us today. To understand what makes our life blessed. It's not because we have material possession. I appreciate the sentiment of saying I'm blessed because I got some nice things. But I want to tell you today, our life is not blessed because we got a new car. Our life is not blessed because we got a new house, a new cat, or some new shoes. Our lives are blessed when our lives actually bless others. Our lives are blessed when our lives help bring life to somebody else. Because what we realize is a blessed life is a fruitful life. Let me say it again. A blessed life is a fruitful life. I don't have to have a lot of material possessions to have a fruitful life. I don't even have to be well in my body to have a fruitful life. So when Joseph's father gets to the end of his life, he invokes a blessing on all 12 of his sons. And you can read it in Genesis chapter 49 later today, but I want to pull out his remarks to Joseph. The first thing he says to Joseph is, Joseph is a fruitful bough. He's a fruitful branch. But he doesn't stop there. He said he's a fruitful branch by a spring, by a well. But not just a fruitful branch by a well or in a well. He is a fruitful branch whose Branches run over the wall of that well. He adds this little description of the fruit vine. He says, it's by a spring. I believe this is telling us where the life of blessing begins. Joseph, your life has impacted our lives. Joseph, you have been fruitful. Joseph, your life was blessed. But that blessed life did not begin when you were made second in command to Egypt. You weren't fruitful when you had great wealth and influence. You weren't considered fruitful only when you were given the charge over the prison or Potiphar's house. But Joseph, you actually began to be fruitful when you ended up in a well. 
You ended up in a place that was closed off, a well that looked inescapable, a well that had no water, a place that looked more like a prison, a place that looked like failure. That's where you were deemed fruitful, and that's where it was determined that you were blessed. Because here's the reality of a blessed life. A well can't contain a blessed person. A well can't contain the fruit. Because if you're attached to the vine, it'll make its way up over the walls of the well. Oh, hallelujah. And when you're sold into slavery, your life... Joseph kept producing fruit. You were blessed because you were blessed for beyond. When you were tempted, Joseph, your life kept bearing fruit because you were blessed for beyond. And when you were lied on, your life kept producing fruit because you were blessed for beyond. When you were thrown in prison, your life kept bearing fruit because you were blessed for beyond. When you were forgotten about, your life kept producing fruit because you were blessed for beyond. And when the power of revenge was in your hand, your life kept producing fruit, reaching over the wall, reaching over what seemed impossible and kept producing fruit. Joseph, what you thought was your undoing was actually your planting. Somebody hear me today. What you thought was your undoing was actually your planting. So I'm not going to stand here today and just despise the trials and curse the difficult days. No, that's the day of planning. That's the day when God starts getting victory in your life. Joseph, you are blessed. Not just so you live in luxury and comfort, but Joseph, you are blessed in a pit because you're blessed for beyond. So we read, Joseph's father says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. What a blessing. I want that kind of blessing in my life. I don't want just a blessing that satisfies my little soul. I want a blessing that impacts a generation. I want a blessing that impacts people around us. I want a blessing that impacts Cincinnati. I want a blessing that impacts this world. 
I want a blessing that reaches beyond what I can see. Oh, hallelujah. And today I want to help us understand that this church, uh, you individually, you are blessed. You are blessed. Hallelujah. We are fruitful, but our blessed life isn't just measured by our bank account or our degree or our position at work. Our blessed life is measured by our ability to produce fruit that reaches over every wall and every obstacle that seems to be in our way. I am blessed for beyond. I may be in a pit, but I'm blessed. I may be in a tight spot financially, but I'm blessed. I may be uncertain about my job, but I'm blessed. Oh, hallelujah. My life is meant to be spared to preserve life. I'm not just beyond blessed, but I'm blessed for beyond. A blessed life that is fruitful begins with a surrendered life. Being blessed is not about me getting what I want, but being blessed is about God getting what he wants. A blessed life is not about my recognition, but a blessed life is about God's glory being revealed. So that's why Jesus would tell us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Sounds like Joseph. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Bless those who mourn. Bless the meek. Bless those who hunger and thirst. He said, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus was telling us that humility produces spiritual fruit. And you are blessed for beyond Blessed life that is fruitful is a forgiven life. Acts chapter 3, 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to what? To bless you. How is he going to bless you? By turning every one of you from your wickedness. You are blessed when you realize you need to turn from your sins. Paul would tell the Romans, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. A blessed life is a forgiven life. 
A blessed life is a fruitful life. As I come to a close today, reminded of a few quick characters in Scripture who God blessed. In Genesis chapter 128, God said to Adam and Eve, says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. To Noah, after he came out, God blessed Noah in Genesis 9 and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It would be to Abraham Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation, a fruitful nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will. So that you will be a blessing. 1 Peter chapter 3, 9 seems as if Peter is referring to Jesus' words, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not repay evil for evil, reveling for reveling. But on the contrary, he says one word, bless. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. What were you called to? To bless. That you what? May obtain a blessing. We're blessed for beyond. That the Calvary Church, we use this acronym. You heard it today in our assimilation process. We use the acronym BLESS. To speak to the idea that we are called to bear fruit. We're called to be fruitful. John 15, 8. But this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So we belong locally. We learn truth. We experience transformation. We share light. And we serve others. The share light, the two S's, share light, serve others, refers to two things that should be coming out of your life for the glory of God. It refers to two things that should be reaching over walls, reaching over areas in your life to people that you don't see or people you might not normally come in contact with. But it means to share light, to say something, to speak something, and to serve others, to do something. Your life should be speaking to others about the power of God. And your life should be lived in a way where you're serving others through your deeds. Paul would tell us this, whatever you do, in word or Deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I ask us today, are we blessed for something beyond us? 
When you received forgiveness of sins, was that for you only? Or was it so that somebody else could find the hope of salvation through your forgiven life? Were you saved for something beyond you? And are you willing to live your life for the glory of God? Are you willing to surrender your life for the power of God to be visible? Because a blessed life doesn't just provide fruit for me. When I say I'm blessed, that's not just so I can consume what God has done. It provides an opportunity for me to bless others. So I ask us today, is our life reaching beyond our personal walls? Is our blessing, is our fruitfulness reaching beyond our walls? Is the Calvary Church as a whole reaching beyond 11970 Ken Road? Because I want to be an over-the-wall kind of church. I'm thankful for our missions giving, and I believe next Sunday we're going to see some courageous giving where some people make a declaration that, you know what, I'm blessed for beyond. I'm blessed for something beyond my own life. I, I want to be a part of a beyond church. I want to be, be a part of a body who sees beyond these four walls that sees beyond the local body, that sees beyond even the local community, even sees beyond our own church organization, that sees beyond our first language and our predominant culture. We need a beyond church. I'm praying for God to open doors beyond us. God, open doors beyond our capacity. Open doors beyond our visibility. I want to be a beyond church. I want to be a beyond Christian. Oh, hallelujah. You can stand with me today. How far does your life reach? How far does your life reach? How far are you willing to let your life reach? I believe that prayer is so vital to us being a beyond church. Prayer is that discipline, that element that causes us to say with our mouth to believe God for the impossible, to reach for things beyond us. We have pre-service prayer every Sunday at 9 o'clock. I hope that you come to pre-service prayer because it helps us be fruitful beyond our reach. We have united prayer tonight at 6 p.m. I hope that you'll make it a part of what you do to say we want to be a beyond church. want to be a church that reaches into our community and beyond. I want to be a church that gives beyond what we can just see here as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I'm thankful for what God's doing across the street. It has a great impact. It's going to have a great impact in our community. 
that I don't want you to step back from being generous to what God is doing around the world just to take care of something you can see visually. We needed to be a beyond church, beyond what we can see. And so your global missions effort is imperative to us being a beyond church. We're trying to raise $50,000. I don't know where it's coming from. But there's works that we support directly. Costa Rica and Ireland and Sweden, Japan and Venezuela. They have a very special need in Venezuela we're going to hear about next week. Their church is just imploding as far as the the people are having to run from the country. I I don't want to just be so focused on Calvary that I ignore the opportunity for vines to reach over the wall. Is your vine reaching? And so today, I, I don't know where you are in your heart. I don't know where you are in your life. And I know that today this message was maybe a little challenging to the, the home folk. But here's what I believe. That no matter what prison you may find yourself in, no matter what circumstance you may find yourself in, that God can plant you in a way that your life impacts others in a profound way. Even when you're thrown in a well, even when you're in a prison, even when you're lied about, even when people cheat on you, are dishonest with you. That's never been the litmus test on whether God can use you. What does matter is are you willing to be surrendered to the Lord? Are you willing to surrender your heart to the things of God? I want to pray for you before I invite you to come. I'm going to invite the church to come and respond in just a moment, but I want to pray for you. God, we come to this moment today. God, I thank you God, for the legacy of this church, a church that has impacted thousands of lives around the world with the gospel, both by sending and giving. Lord, I thank you for the lives in this room who have surrendered to you even when their lives were trapped, even when their lives seemed like they were going nowhere, Lord, but yet there was a vine, a fruitful vine that began to grow out of the well a well that somehow found water, the water of life, Lord, a well that found your spirit, that found your power, that found your gospel. And Lord, today I'm praying that somebody would surrender to your work. God, you have a great purpose for our lives here in this room. There are some here today who feel absolutely trapped by life, but Lord, you're telling them that you're going to use their life in a profound way, even when they look around and it seems hopeless. God, I'm believing today for your power to be manifested in this room. I pray, God, that there would be something that begins to emerge out of the dust, that begins to emerge out of the prison cell. In the name of Jesus, God, we reach for you in this place right now. We surrender our hearts to you right now. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, 
or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.